0: Almighty God, who has given your people the gift of faith, open your word to us at this time to behold you, the one who sustains us when our hearts are heavy, our sight dim and our spirits weak. Plant the hope of Christ within us, Lord God, we pray for your sake. Amen. You may be seated. Well, you may not know it to look at me, but back in the mid-90s, when I was a student here at Covenant Seminary, I got into running. And it was not unusual for me to run anywhere from four to eight miles a day. Um, yeah, I have the, the shock of it all now, <laughs> but um, there, there were times where I entered into different road races, 5K races, so 3.1 miles, and um, a couple years back to back, I did the University City Library 5K race, and uh, that starts in front of the library, and you go uphill for the first mile, going, going west, which I think is an insane way. To start a race. Uh, but I remember trying my best to be out in front, uh, in, in those races. And then would come that inevitable time about a mile and a half to two miles into the race where I would feel my reserves go and my leg, the, you feel the, uh, the lactose building up in your muscles and you start to tire. And in runner's jargon, that is when you start to hit the wall. And what runners experience uh, can be a regular thing uh, in the journey of the Christian life. There are times that we find that even though we have God's durable promises, and that we have a God who sustains us in our experience, and from our perspective, and in the weakness of our own selves, we have those times when our faith hits the wall. Uh, As Abram does in our passage today from the Old Testament, uh, uh, Genesis 15, which will be our sermon passage, uh, we find that there are times that are good because we have those promises of God, but difficult because we cannot see how they will be fulfilled. Uh, We see the activity of life clouding out the reality of who God is. And the good news is that as we navigate those difficulties of faith, God does intervene to sustain us. God, in a sense, uh, strengthens us to to walk through those difficult times. He provides solid footing uh, during those times where we have to go on believing. And that is simply part of God's good and loving and gracious character. And we see that on display here in Genesis 15. So the question might be how does this happen? Well, in the first part of uh, these initial six verses, we see that God gives us the liberty to struggle with our faith. God it's like God makes space for us to experience the doubt, to to voice our confusion, Uh, and this all begins here where God approaches Abram in a vision and says, fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. Now normally, if maybe if God showed up and told you do not fear, that might be very reassuring. For whatever reason, that's very unsettling for Abram. Uh, and the reason why is because, uh, why he speaks back to God, not incidentally in brusque, pushy, irreverent smack talk, but he, the reason for his response is because of something that happened three chapters before, where God plucked him away from his family and said, I, will, I want you to go to a land that I will show you. Uh, And when Abram arrived there in the land of Canaan, in modern day Israel, God said to him, to your descendants, people, I will give this land a place. I will bless those who bless you, those who curse you, I will curse. Protection. And through you, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. He gives a program for that fulfillment. And so far, Abram, he's at least living in the land, even if he doesn't have ownership. Uh, He has that assurance from God of the protection and, and the blessing. But Abram said, you know, this thing about my reward being very great, for this land to pass on to my descendants, I need to have descendants, Lord. And you gave me that promise back when I was circa 75 years of age. I am now approaching the century mark, almighty God, with an empty quiver. And Abram isn't saying this to be cruel to God. He's not shaking his fist in God's face saying, you don't understand what I'm going through because I think Abram understood that God did. But Abram is saying, God... You are a promise making and promise keeping God. And I have your promise, but so far I haven't seen the result show up. There's a disconnect that I'm trying to figure out. Help me. Okay? And, and it's, it's not just every, promises are very big for us. And when someone makes a promise, we like to think they will keep it. Yeah, you make a reservation at a decent restaurant. How would you like it if you and your significant other or whoever you're going with uh, arrives there and they say, oh, yes, we have your reservation. Unfortunately, we ran out of tables. And... uh, you might get a little snarky and say, that's the whole point of the reservation. It keeps a table here for us. I don't think you understand the idea of a reservation. But Abram understands that God knows the point of a promise. And he knows God's character. So Abram is saying, I can't figure this out. And we have many Abram moments, if we will be honest, in our own faith journeys. And sometimes we even can take the promises of Scripture and we're wondering there's some sort of misfiring here when it comes into my own life at this point. Well, what places are we talking about? Well, how about Deuteronomy 31 verse 8. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And some of us might say, then why do I suffer from crippling anxiety and depression over things which seem so uncontrollable? Or Isaiah 40, verse 29, he gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. And some of us might say, then why do I feel so incapacitated? Why am I in constant pain? Why do I face such medical uphill difficulty all the time? Or Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To which we can always say, then why... Did my child die? Why do my children hate me? Why do I feel such rootlessness in life when I have prepared for something and now I just seem to be running in neutral? There are places where our circumstances don't seem to match God's promise. And I can't delve into how it's all going to make sense. There's no equation for that. There are some things that just have to be lived through, through the next day and the next day and the next day. I just want to offer this encouragement about the struggling with our faith. That that experience that we go through time and time again can actually be an encouragement for us. Now, before you get out the tomatoes and start slinging them, let me explain. Because God gives us the liberty to struggle with faith. We see it here with Abram where he doesn't shake his fist, but he says, Lord, you're a God of promises. You're a God of truth and integrity. In fact, Abram shows us a model of how to voice our confusion and our complaints and our struggles. Where he says, help me out because there's something here that's not matching up that I'm struggling with. And what this shows... With Abram, with us, God gets us. We're human beings. We won't always get what God is up to because the finite is going to struggle with an infinite, completely perfect God. And God knows that. God is not going to wrap our knuckles if if we voice complaints. He is not going to... Roar at us necessarily if we properly question where our experience is headed. It can be encouraging that God, it's like God backs up and gives Abram space to voice it. I don't get what's going on here. Please help me out. Because you are the God who keeps promises, and I want to cling to you. And above all, what this should apply is that faith, for us, if we sometimes we approach faith as there has to be some sort of absolute certainty going on in my life, where I know where God is taking me, uh, where it becomes mathematical and everything, and it's ironclad and it's absolute. And we have to remember faith is not that. If you are a sinful person, Holding on to your faith, your faith is by definition going to be imperfect. It is going to be incomplete. It can be growing, but it will be struggling. But what Abram shows us, and what God wants his children to see, is that your faith is not deficient if you ask questions. And in fact, you could make the counter-argument that it can be deficient if you refuse to ask questions. Bringing our questions, bringing our confusion, our struggles to God shows that His ways and His promises and His fatherly attention matter to us that it is at the very heartbeat of our life. Because if we were going to disdain Him, if we were not going to believe, we wouldn't give a rip about the promises of God. We wouldn't care about the person of God. True faith struggles with God's promises because we who hold on to our faith, who struggle through our faith in Christ, cherish the promises of God that much. It really brings to light what Peter Kreeft, who is a Christian philosopher at Boston College, has said before in another uh, scenario, in another context. It's one of my favorite quotes. Only in a world where faith is difficult can faith exist. That's part of living the Christian life. And the good news is God doesn't leave us there by just giving us this space to voice our confusion. And then he says, okay, that, that's, that's great. At least you emote it. At least you got it out. Don't you feel better? Uh, God goes beyond that. So remember, he, he, he's a tender father who gives us what we truly need. And he understands... That, that we need encouragements. We need to go on. We, we, we need our, our faith to, to, to be emboldened and strengthened. And so he does that with the signs of faith. This is in verses four through five, where he repeats his promise here. Uh, verse four, he says, This man, Abram said, uh, his servant Eleazar is going to end up being his heir. And God says, No, he's not going to be your own heir. Your very own son. So, Someone who is going to have your DNA imprint is going to be your heir. So he gives him the, 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 uh, the, the spoken word, the, the declaration. But God's, it's as if God says, this is my promise and maybe logic and the spoken word is not going to be enough for you right now. So in the midst of your vision, I want you to come outside because I've got something to show you. And so he does that. He says, brought him outside. He said, look towards heaven. Number the stars if you were able to number him. Then he said to him, thus shall your offspring be. Almost 100-year-old year, Abraham, year old Abraham. This is how many descendants you're going to have. You're not going to be able to count. Now, why does God do that? Why does God show him The stars. Is it because his spoken word wasn't enough? I don't think so. I I think that God recognizes we have those cliches like um, a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, there's truth to that. Okay, A, a visual can often make a grander imprint than just something that is spoken in the moment. We we see this. Uh, on occasion and it can make an impact that way for example back in 2018 um, our, our family was planning our summer vacation and we were just kind of looking up stuff on the internet and finding reports about places where it would be good to go we settled on the upper peninsula of Michigan uh, which is a gorgeous place if you've ever been there but it, there's one thing to to look on Websites and, and read reports about what the water is like and what Lake Huron is like and these different places that are available for lodging and everything. Words can describe what a vacation may be like. But I can tell you, as someone who's been to the UP twice and has, and has smelled the air there, and has driven around and has have partaken of the events and everything, it's another thing to see the experience in living color. It's one thing to know that there is a restaurant called Scalawags in Mackinac City. It is another thing to go there and to have whitefish, and you can practically taste the lake in your meal, and it's invigorating. It's one thing to hear about the Oswalds Bear Ranch in Newberry, Michigan. It is another thing to go there and get in a cage with a baby bear and see your daughter feed it strawberry jam from a paintbrush. It's one thing to hear about the whitetail deer ranch. It's another thing to go there and play with the baby deer and to feel the fuzzy antlers. It's one thing to read about Mackinac Island. It's another thing to take the ferry out there and be transported back to another world where there are no cars on the island. There are horse-drawn carriages. You walk around and it's just very quaint. and it's, it's, you, you feel the, the stress level just melting away. And then you've got to come back here. Uh, <laughs> not, not here, here. I mean here, here. But you get my point. There, there is something about the experience. There's something about seeing pictures in, in, in such lavish boldness. It goes deep into our bones. God is putting his promise in color for his servant Abram. He's giving Abram a sign so that the imagination of Abram's faith can just burst out. And that can be God's way. And he's not doubling down on images to say, now I'm making my word, I'm making my promise more durable as though God's integrity was lacking. But to make it more memorable. He knows sometimes we need the vivid, we need the animated, we need the graphic. And it imprints itself on us. Where God says, you hear my word, now let me draw you a picture. In color. That's because he knows. We often need that. As the, that one line from the hymn goes, Father like, he tends and spares us. Well, our feeble frame, he knows. He knows the fragility of our faith. He knows what he needs to bring out. What he needs to unearth. What he needs to draw and place before us visually to buttress it. And you may be saying that that would be very nice for God to draw me a picture like that. That would help a lot. Once in a while to support my struggling faith, but, you, you know... I don't see him pointing out to the stars or or, or something or doing some grand artwork that lifts my spirits. Well, what if I told you that he does do that? And that picture happens to be just three yards southwest, southeast. Southeast of where I'm standing. Every week, you, Christian believer, follower of Jesus, receive a word picture of the goodness of God who sustains your weak faith as you and I draw near to His table. Isn't this Jesus' vivid graphic that is meant... To put solid footing underneath you? To sustain your hobbling faith and my weak endeavors? What does Jesus say when you take the bread? Other than, as bread sustains you in an ordinary meal, won't I sustain you and give you what you need in every circumstance? What does Jesus communicate to us when we drink the wine other than you see that I bled for you? You see how far I went for you in my life and in my death? Will I not certainly continue to do that for you in every circumstance? Communion is the ultimate visual picture of God's love for us through Christ to sustain through the work of His Holy Spirit our struggling faith, to put fresh courage within our faltering hearts for our present struggles. All of which, the space He gives us to struggle with our faith, the encouragement He gives us with the signs of faith, lead us to realize this is a God who is the absolute sufficiency of our faith. Verse 6. And Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. I don't believe this is Abram's conversion moment. Uh, I I think this is a continuation of his stepping out in faith in Genesis 12 with the original promise of God. But what what this is saying is Abram's life is one of, of believing, putting his trust in God. Uh, in the Lord, Uh, and that counts to him. And Paul picks up on this uh, in in the New Testament uh, when when he talks about Abram believed God and God counted to him, justified him, accepted him as righteous in his sight. Uh, But but the point is, Abram, there's something we, we should not lose sight of. Abram believes the Lord. Abram does not say, well, it's now up to me to have a sufficient reserve of faith all the time, a a reservoir. What Abram is saying, my trust is in the Lord. The Lord is the object of my faith. And haven't we ever caught ourselves, if not repeatedly, thinking, you know, if I just have enough faith in this situation, maybe things will improve. Maybe if I had stronger faith. Maybe if I was a more consistent believer. There's something to be said for consistency, but what if we have a tendency to make an idol of our own faith by wondering how strong our faith is rather than remembering it is our Lord and Savior who is the object of our faith? put it this way let's say you're having to do some work on on your roof and this is beyond me because i've fallen off a roof twice in my life and my wife won't let me get up on a roof anymore but let's just say you got got a ladder to to get up on on a roof perhaps you're worrying about the sturdiness of that ladder Perhaps you are are just sweating, you're perspiring, you're you're just anxious. Every step, every rung of the way up that ladder till you get up the roof, you're like, I don't know if the ladder is going to sustain me. What you believe about the ladder is not going to affect the ladder. It's whether that ladder is sturdy enough. You can have the strongest faith, and and the and and, and the worst worst constructed ladder in the world, it's not going to hold you no matter how strong your belief in the ladder is. And it's like this. God is demonstrating here that ultimately it is He, the one who gives us the liberty to struggle in our faith, who encourages us with the signs of faith. He is the one. He is the object of our faith who is the true sufficiency for us. That is the case on good days. That's in the case of absolute doubt, anxiety, hopelessness, whatever. Always bringing to mind the words of Corey ten Boom. You never know that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. But you said that during the Holocaust or reflecting on the Holocaust, it's true. Only he... As we see time and time again when we come to his table, Jesus is our sole sufficiency. He is all we need. Our Savior who gives us the liberty to struggle with faith, who gives us himself in the sign of faith, is our sufficient object of our faith. And that is a hope that we can hold on to, even when, especially when, faith hits the wall. Let's pray. Pour out the grace of your Holy Spirit upon us, O Lord Jesus. Cause us to know that the stumbles and difficulties of our journey with you, although very real, are nonetheless overseen by your Father and our God. We give you thanks for the space to voice our bewilderment, for the ways you signify your good promises, and for being our fully sufficient Savior. Receive our thanks for your mercies, Jesus, our King, who with the Father and the Holy Spirit reigns forever and ever. Amen.